Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Happy holidays again, everyone. It's day four of my Christmas Bonanza special where I'm covering a different subject each day for 10 to 15 minutes. And the subjects are things that people struggle with when it comes to gun dog training. I'm going to have to be quite succinct and to the point and not too detailed because we have to get into kind of 15 minutes-ish episode. So it's not going to go everywhere, but I'm going to give you some kind of further listening suggestions in terms of other podcast episodes where I've discussed similar subjects. So if you do want a deeper dive, you can check it out there. So today's episode is about, well, let's say the subject is my dog is overexcited. That is the thing that someone would say. And by this, we mean a dog which is maybe over aroused, which has problems such as whining or unsteadiness or you know any kind of noise that kind of situation. So let's go and take a deeper dive into the dog which is overexcited. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. So the thing to say about the dog which is overexcited is that this is a particularly challenging scenario and that's because emotions are involved. So in some problems that we run into with gun dogs, there is mainly a training issue. And if we can just fix the training issue, meaning if we can just teach the dog a behavior to do instead of the thing we don't want them to do, then we resolve, you know, 80% of the problem. And Other situations are much more driven by how the dog feels and their emotions. And it's much harder to change that because we're kind of into the realm of behavioral work, as it were, which is changing how a dog feels about something and changing how a dog or a person feels about something is quite a big task and not as simple as just training the dog to do a behavior. So when we have a dog which is overexcited, whining, unsteady, making noise, you know, hyper, all those kind of things. Not sure how else we could describe it. Um, we're dealing with a lot of obviously over arousal, over excitement. It can be stress as well with some dogs, which sometimes it can be hard to tell, you know, is this kind of mostly over excitement with a little bit of stress or is this mostly stress with a little bit of excitement? But there's some kind of, there's some element of stress involved in what you're looking at a lot of the time as well. So, how do we go about dealing with this? So the first thing I want to say is that a lot of this is genetic and that's going to be a little bit of a downer for some people because obviously we can't change a dog's genes. So, you know, a lot of traditional trainers, if they have a dog which displays a lot of these tendencies, particularly if it's a a retriever, which is, 
you know, going to have to be very calm and steady at heel in Europe or the UK anyway. So they're going to have to be very um, self-contained, let's say, <laughs> until they're sent on a retrieve. Then if a traditional trainer has a dog which is displaying some of these hyper aroused tendencies, they will often just move the dog on. They will often just find a pet home for the dog or maybe just a shooting home at someone who doesn't want to compete, depending on the condition of the dog then you know they they will just start again with another with another dog and i think that's something which is not something that many people who whose dogs are trained using force stream methods many people wouldn't find that to be an acceptable solution if i said to you now okay guys the solution to this problem is you know just um get another dog and you know that's it really i don't think you would be be very satisfied with that as an answer but i say that because this is one which traditional trainers will they struggle with this as well so there aren't any really brilliant perfect solutions but i'm going to give you what we have so one thing that we can do is we can teach the dog or we can get the dog to do a behavior which is inherently calming with the hope that we equip them with the skills they need to be able to self-regulate to calm themselves down to not be so manic and hyper so what do i mean by this well there there are different behaviors that we can train the dog to do so one is a very simple one find it so when the dog is sniffing for treats snuffling around they are preoccupied they're not looking at whatever is interesting or arousing for them in the environment whether that's other dogs running retrieves or you know whatever is going on around them they are busy and focused and they're also using their nose a lot and we know that for dogs this is a very calming thing for a lot of dogs to do because they're taking deep breaths they are you know it's a bit like breathing exercises for humans that are stressed breath breath work is is a very known uh, very well known way to deal with stress and i think that's part of the reason why a lot of scent work is very helpful for dogs as well. It's encouraging them to use their noses. It's encouraging them to take deep breaths and to focus on their breathing in a kind of doggy way. So find it is an excellent, simple behavior, which doesn't require much training. Most dogs naturally want to sniff around for treats anyway. So anytime that we see the dog is starting to get a little over aroused, a little excited, we can ask them to find it and we can sprinkle some treats on the floor. And often that will help in these moments when they're very distracted or interested in something. So that's one little tip. Another little tip is something that I got from Denise Fenzi, which is the whole platform idea. Now, I've used platforms in training for kind of three-handed casting. So like for the left, the right, and the back, the early stages of that. So if you want to see what I'm describing here, you could take my three-handed casting course from my website, forcefreegundog.com. But I hadn't used platforms outside of that context. I hadn't realized that they could help with over arousal issues. But having watched Denise work with her dogs, I can see that the platform gives the dog a sort of place to stick their butt to, a sort of place to hold their physical self to. So because they are holding themselves together on a particular physical spot, which is the platform, they kind of emotionally are helped to hold themselves together in a similar way. It's very strange how this works, but it does. So platform work, I've come to see, really helps dogs that are struggling with arousal issues. And the other reason I think Denise has talked about this a bit as well is the fact that it decreases movement. So for some dogs, 
movement generates more arousal. And you'll know if you have a dog like this, because if you have them on a leash and you let them kind of freely wander around in front of you, you'll see them getting more and more worked up, more and more aroused, more and more blah, 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 blah. So they kind of, <laughs> they kind of get higher and higher. The more movement they do, the more they generate excitement. And for these dogs, it really helps if you get them to not move so much and you get them to calm and still themselves. But you do that without you physically restraining them. Because obviously, as soon as you start to restrain the dog on a leash and hold the dog so they're still, that can generate a lot of frustration and a lot of um, not very helpful feelings in the dog as well. So the goal is that we want the dog to be still, but we want the dog to choose to be still and to be still themselves, to still their own body, not for us to still them, as it were. So the platform works really well in this respect as well, because it's quite a small spot it helps the dog to stick themselves to that spot, to hold their body nice and still, and within that, to still their emotions as well. So I really like the platforms for dogs which are over-aroused. And you can use these for, like, if, for example, if you are um, sitting, if you would have the dog usually sitting at heel, you're marking retrieves, for example, or it's a class where you're all quite static, then the platform is a great place for the dog to stick their butt to. So it worked really well for retrievers, for example, um, in particular. So, so yeah, there's another little suggestion there. So what else can we do? We can teach the dog to do something else as well. So for example, if, if we're training by that, I mean, say you're in a class, a lot a situation where, or context where a lot of dogs will get overexcited, will often be watching other dogs do the thing that they want to do. And whilst for some breeds, so for, for example, Spaniels or HBRs, they're not really under assessment. They're on the leash. They're in the gallery when they're not competing. Um, when they're competing, they come forwards. They would have their leash taken off and they'll be running around. So dogs which get excited, which are HBRs and Spaniels in the gallery, getting excited, potentially watching other dogs running. It's pretty easy to deal with because you can hang back. You can you know, stand with other dogs in between you. The gallery is often a long way away from the dog, which is actually competing or running you don't have this sort of really tempting scenario where a dog has to sit still and watch another dog go and get the thing that they really want so that's a particular situation that is difficult and that retrievers have to face so they've got to face the situation where they really want to get the retrieve they seen it fall they know where it is they're bursting with <laughs> with drive and desire for that thing and then another dog gets sent how awful is that? <laughs> Another dog gets sent before their very eyes and goes to get that thing which they really want. And they're supposed to sit there and be quiet and contained and contented about the fact that another dog is going to get this thing that they want. So this is the sort of scenario that we have to think about how to help the dogs manage. So as I talked about, there is the whole find it thing. There is the whole super gluing their butt to a platform thing. But there's also the idea of sending the dog for another retrieve. So if you are in a sort of training situation... You can set up a blind pole behind you somewhere with some dummies around the base of it. And if you if you taught your dog to do blind retrieves, by the way, I have a course on blind retrieves. It's called Blind Retrieves, imaginatively, on my website, forcefreegundog.com. So if you've taught the dog to line to the blind pole, when another dog goes and gets a retrieve and you sense that this is going to be difficult for your dog, you can turn around 180 degrees to face the blind pole, line the dog up for a blind and send them for a blind. So the dog again, gets to do a behavior which is similar to the behavior, 
that they want to do, which is to go and get that retrieve that they saw fall, they're going. They're still going to go and get a retrieve. They're still able to move and use their body and get the yayas out and go and get something in their mouth. But it's not the thing that they saw. It's just another thing. It's a substitute thing. So if you can teach a dog to do that, and by the way, you'd have to be careful at first because you don't want your dog to veer off and become a total nuisance and try and go and get the thing which they're not supposed to get, the mark which the other dog has been sent for. That'd be a bit of a disaster. So you have to be sure at first that your dog is going to be able to reliably go where you're sending them to the blind pole. So if you're not sure about that, you could even have a long line on your dog and you could do a really short blind retrieve within the length of the long line to the blind pole. And as your dog gets more reliable with this, you can build up the distance and maybe not need the long line anymore. But this whole idea of providing the dog with a substitute behavior, which allows them to use up some of their energy, but which isn't the thing that they want to do, that's a really nice sort of halfway step. Um, and again, I think the the ultimate kind of solution here is the dog learns that they get the thing they want. They just get it in a deferred way. So a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about dogs, the HBRs and Spaniels more, learning to be steady to to flush and not to chase game. And that the ultimate thing that they learn is that their access to the game is contingent on their behavior and their steadiness. So once they've learned that piece, which is a very important, but often quite late learnt piece, then everything kind of reinforces itself and the whole kind of beautiful cycle just falls into place. And it's often a lot simpler than it was earlier on when you were struggling to get all the pieces trained separately. So with the retriever, it's a similar situation. The dog's going to learn that they get, they get the thing they want they just get it in a deferred way. So they're not going to get it right now, but they're going to get the next retrieve or maybe the next retrieve or maybe the next retrieve if they continue to be steady and calm and walk at heel. So so the clue here is to teach the dog to, to show us the behavior that we want to see to earn the reinforcer that they want to get. It's just teaching them how to do that, which, <laughs> which is the tricky bit. So... I hope that's given people some ideas, but I would also add in on this one that there is a limit to what you can achieve. If you've got a dog which is, you know, really excitable, um, you've done a lot of training, you've worked really, really hard trying to help this dog manage themselves, it might just be noise-based. So it might be that physically, in terms of steadiness and control, they're able to maintain a good heel position, but they're just making noise. There's just like this whining or squeaking or something which is happening that's a very difficult thing to to train out because often dogs are not aware that they're doing it and for a dog to be able to control something they have to first become conscious of the fact that they're doing it and they have to be able to discriminate exactly what it is that you dislike and they you you want them not to do and what you want them to offer you instead so and this can be a really hard thing for a lot of dogs to understand one thing that i've found and had some success with is again from the control and leashed exercises, the take a breath um, exercise where you teach the dog to, well, take a breath on cue. And, you know, it's, it's too detailed for me to explain here, but the main thing is that we're observing the dog and we're observing the flaring of their nostrils and marking the flaring of their nostrils and then deliberately taking a breath. Now, the reason why I quite like this, particularly for dogs which get really worked up and tend to make noise, 
is because it's very difficult for them to be taking a breath and making noise at the same time. They almost can't do it. It's almost as if it's almost impossible. So what we've got here is a replacement behavior for the thing we don't like. And if we can mark and reinforce this behavior, we're reinforcing something which is not making noise. And the more that we can cue and reinforce this and cue and reinforce this, the more we teach the dog to be calm, to steady themselves, to take a breath, to calm themselves emotionally. But also we're not reinforcing noise in the process of all of this. So I find that exercise from control leash quite useful too. You have to do a lot of work with that and training it away from the situation where the dog is really overroused. So you want to make sure first of all in a calm situation and at home that you've got a dog which really understands the take a breath cue before you start to use it in exciting situations. So I find that helps as well. So if you want to check out some podcast episodes on the subject of my dog is overexcited, you might want to check out podcast episodes 8, 33 and 78 at 8, 33 and 78. And you probably want to also check out my online course, Focus and Attention. That would be a good one to start with if you've got an, an overexcited dog. Um, and also, I think my marking course goes into quite a lot of this as well in terms of being able to remain calm in a situation where you've got marks being thrown, other dogs around and that kind of thing. So marking course, focus and attention course, both available on my website, forcefreegundog.com. There's a discount running at the moment for a few more days, 40% off using the code HAPPYHOLIDAYS2023. I'll be back tomorrow with another commonly identified gun dog problem. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Hold the line.